Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Below Freezing. This is the show where every week we unthaw a brand new movie that came in at or below 32% on Rotten Tomatoes and we see whether or not they're still fresh or freezer burnt. I'm your host CJ. And I'm Micah. And oh the day has come. So I feel like we've been teasing this for quite some time amongst our friends and some in a little bit on the actual show. Uh, We take pride in being connoisseurs of movies that uh, time may leave behind. Uh, Movies that critics don't fully understand the first time around. And um, this is a day that I have waited for since we decided that this was what the show was going to be about. Uh, We sat down just yesterday (laughs) and watched an an auteur at his most garish. Yeah, that's that's a fair statement. And his most gaudy and uh, that auteur is michael bay we watched his film bad boys 2 why did we watch bad boys 2 without watching bad boys 1 because i uh your loving host knew for a fact that micah uh my good friend would not consent to watching bad boys 2 had we watched bad boys 1 so if we were gonna dump her in a pool (laughs) We just dumped her in at the shallow end. Uh, so before, just uh, how you feeling, Micah? You know, I feel um, pretty much exactly like you predicted I would feel, which is bad. I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I have not hated a movie this much in a very long time if ever i'm you know i've been trying to think of um movies that i've hated this much and um the only movie experience i can think of where i was this unhappy was i had my very first hangover and my mother dragged the family to go see the odd life of timothy green which um yeah that sounds like your family it sounds like my mother specifically uh i i hate sad sappy feel good movies and that's what exactly what that movie was and i'm not being fair to the odd life of timothy green because i would never put it in the same category as this movie it's just that i was ferociously hang hung over and could not let my parents in on that fact So that's like the closest um, experience I can think of where I was this unhappy watching a movie. I was, um, I was disturbed. (laughs) I was, I was upset. Uh, I was just fuming and also um, shoving my face into my elbow because I couldn't bear the cringe at certain moments. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, that's a that's a breakdown of um how I felt of your general spectrum of, of yeah, emotions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. While we were watching Bad Boys too. Okay, so before I give you the floor, <laughs> I want to say that I am going to try and try my best to act as a moderating force <laughs> in this episode. Um, that is not to say that I particularly enjoy Bad Boys too. 
I don't. (laughs) (laughs) We just need to get that out there from the get go. Uh, Bad Boys 2 is, uh, is an incredibly ugly movie in tone, in narrative content, and in visual style. <laughs> but... Accurate. Um, I, I do have a sort of begrudging respect for Michael Bay as an artist. That makes one of us. <laughs> Specifically because, and honestly, I would, I would credit a lot of this to a two-part video essay on Michael Bay and his auteurism, if you will, um, done by Patrick H. Willems, who is host of the Infinity Podcast, one of the hosts of the Infinity Podcasts. And no matter what you think about Michael Bay, when you watch one of his movies, you always know that it's Michael Bay. Or if you see someone aping that style, you know that it's Michael Bay that they're aping. That's fair. And for this to be the sequel to his first major feature film, and for him to be Michael Bay at his Michaelist and most Bay... (laughs) (laughs) is something that while I do not enjoy I saw this movie once when I was maybe 11 years old and didn't watch it again until last night young yeah yeah yeah. um because it it had will smith and like will smith was the great equalizer Mm -hmm. rated r will smith movies was still will smith movies for everybody Mm -hmm. um yeah i think it's important to uh to take that into account not only michael bay and his particular brand of auteurism but also where will smith was (laughs) when this like in the zeitgeist when this movie came out. Mm -hmm. But one thing that you can watch this movie over and over and over again and never have a complete grasp on is Michael Bay's politics. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because I think, I'm pretty sure that Michael Bay is pretty known in like, a lot of democratic circles but some uh, pretty well-known sort of like democrat with like his month like where he puts his money and stuff like that but his movies always place themselves in the sort of toxically uber masculine realm of non-liberal humor if i could say that i have a lot of um feelings about that as well that we can um i think i will do it we'll do a deep dive on on michael bay once we get into it and my my feelings on michael bay and the way that his politics work well jumping uh, right into it into our recap uh we start the movie with uh, a bunch of uh, very fancy Chevy commercial looking tracking shots over a city and into a swamp. And we're following these military guys. Not a ton of military uh, people uh, in this movie, but which uh, is always surprising to me if uh, I come across a movie of Michael Bay's that doesn't uh, involve uh, the military in some very heavy and important story way. Because having seen a lot of Michael Bay's films, uh, military personnel seem to be the only human beings that Michael Bay has any sort of base respect for. Yeah. Which, again, the way that figures into his politics... Is so odd. (sighs) But, uh, yeah, so the first thing you notice off the bat is that Michael Bay is all about the money shot. Yes. Um, But he's all about the money shot in the way that he frames literally every shot in this movie as if it were a money shot, uh, which... It's is visually exhausting. It's <laughs> yeah. so exhausting. The way that th- the entire way that this movie is edited and the cinematography is 
like you said, it's the Michaelist at his most bay, and it. <laughs> we are following these soldier guys, and uh, they're creeping up on a group of people. And who are these people? Uh, they're it's the clan. You know the clan, that clan. Uh, yes, that one, the one that you're thinking with all of the K's. There's a fucking burning cross in case the hoods didn't get that message crossed and at this point at this point i really think it uh part of me a part of the recap of this movie is going to be uh the various different stages of uncomfortability that micah was in throughout the the uh, sort of runtime of this movie i mean and we, i look over at micah as they are lighting this cross and her sort of circle of self uh, her aura has already gone like concave <laughs> <laughs> She is so uncomfortable, and 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 Will and Martin haven't even shown up yet. So they're not even there. All we've had, we went straight from like the most two thousand two of intros, where I'm like, yes, this this is the beginning of a Michael Bay movie. Yeah, checks out. Um, there's some military men of nondescript objective. You don't really know what exactly they're going for. You know, there's drugs involved somehow, but. The objectives of the mission and what exactly they're doing, unclear. So whilst I am watching this progress and trying to figure out, okay, like, are, is it a drug bust? Are they going after? And then in the midst of those thoughts, bam, just fucking burning cross. And I thought, oh my God, don't they realize, like, surely they realize what imagery that, and then bam, hoods and oh my fucking God. Yeah. They know exactly what they're doing because it is an actual clan meeting and that's where we're starting. Okay. And then uh, the shot in this movie that you could write an entire college thesis on uh, where Will Smith appears uh, like throwing off a KKK robe and and mask and uh, brandishing two pistols at the rest of the clan members just the image of this black man uh sort of exploding out of the image of a clan member <laughs> whilst having police emblazoned across his chest and it's, shouting blue power and he's yeah yeah because everyone's screaming white power and he screams blue power which is so loaded and it, it's so loaded <sighs> to, to the point where like i don't want to think about it too hard because all it's going to do is take you in a circle because oh, it, it's such a <sighs> listen it is such a <laughs> blatant ignorance of the entire history of the clan and their inherent relationship with the police and the fact that they gained so much of their power and their ability to do the atrocious things that they did because they had the carte blanche endorsement from police in the communities where they were active and this entire scene is just such a such a blatant ignorance of that entire history like if you're gonna use the clan as your opening like 
scene to establish like how good your guys are in comparison to how bad the guys they take down are, but you're completely ignoring that they're supposedly taking them down as agents of the organization that historically held the KKK up. I I just, I can't, I can't. That's where we started. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of uh, macho grandstanding with the guns being pointed everywhere between Mm -hmm. Will Smith's character, uh, and Martin Lawrence's character and these clan members uh, uh, shoot out, breaks out, and Martin Lawrence gets shot in the ass. That's our first major comedy beat of the movie, which just sort of folds into a lot of different stuff. But generally, the main crux of this film, uh, the the main arc that the two leads have to go through in their relationship is the... The fact that Will Smith's character is alone in a lethal weapon dynamic. Will Smith is definitely the male Gibson. He's very uh, reckless. He's, uh, he takes a lot of risks. He's uh, extremely violent, which we'll get to. Oh, we will. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, and Martin Lawrence, uh, his character is a family man. He's got these kids uh, in this house and he just wants a sort of quieter career that doesn't involve all of the antics that Will Smith's character gets him into. Um, this movie is very loud. Very, very loud. <laughs> One of the major things that comes in between them in the film is the introduction of Sid, Martin Lawrence's uh, character's sister, played by Gabrielle Union, who works for the DEA. And there is sort of a tiny setup thing about um, her being sort of like a pencil pushing desk jockey at the DEA and not in the middle of firefights and stuff like that. Uh, because Martin Lawrence's character is playing on the overprotective brother trope. My favorite of the tropes. Yeah, yeah. Which she said sarcastically. I'd mind a little less if the movie wasn't so all over the place with it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not the most offensive thing to happen in this movie, but it mm-hmm. it was still there. <laughs> and it still pissed me off because it's in conjunction with all of these other things that are equally or more upsetting. Well, yeah. So, and, and the villains don't really matter. No. <laughs> They're just uh, people who need to be shot. For the sake of story, I'm not saying anyone needs to be shot. I think <laughs> Peter Stromer as a Russian guy, uh, because if you need someone to play a Russian guy, you just get Peter Stromer. There is the sort of main antagonist who is this uh, Cuban ecstasy dealer. And we spend a lot of time with him, but we really don't know anything about him or like why he's as weird as he is. Yeah, they don't give him like they give him these really basic character beats like cares about Mm -hmm. his money is probably sleazy, um, but he's he loves his mother and his daughter um but then he's also this brutal murderer then he literally chops people up and stuffs their dismembered limbs into boxes and things which isn't the worst thing to happen in this movie by half by the way like if that was supposed to disturb me more than the shit that the main characters (laughs) get up to it did not do that well okay one thing i uh, just to get out of the recap for a second one thing i wanted to talk about in this movie is that just visually all of the interiors that aren't basically martin lawrence's character's house or the police station are all sort of bathed in this really pallid ugly neon light Mm -hmm. uh which i I wasn't really understanding the choice 
to do that with even like there's a part at this club that's owned by the Peter Stromer Russian guy and someone starts to overdose on ecstasy and in the midst of all that it's just a lot of like tracking shots upskirt <laughs> so much upskirt cinematography like while we're talking about visual choices like every single woman including Gabrielle Union for a lot of it is shot ass or tits first and then we might track to the <laughs> face which it's Michael Bay so it didn't surprise me but I feel like it's particularly egregious in this movie there's something interesting about Michael Bay and the way he handles like central female characters there was a video essay not too long ago uh, from Lindsay Ellis she's been doing this sort of retrospective this film studies retrospective on the Transformers franchise that's really good it's called The Whole Plate it's on YouTube and she did an episode about the Megan Fox character in the first two Transformers movies uh, whose name I believe is Michaela and how Mm -hmm. um, Michaela is when you sort of step back and think about it ostensibly the actual protagonist or should be the protagonist of the movie the way her character is written on the page but all we remember is sort of Megan Fox TNA because of the way that um the character is framed within the context of the final film. Mm -hmm. Something like that happens here to Gabrielle Union as well. It absolutely does. Uh, Where, to skip ahead, and we'll get back to the middle a little bit, we sort of end on this rescue mission for Gabrielle Union, who needs to be rescued, but the film sort of frames it as though she's fucking up. But the entire, but if you like actually remember the story the entire time, she is not like uber confident, but competent in a way that she's there, she's doing her job, she's not doing a bad job at it. And everything that goes wrong for her is the result of the recklessness of Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Yeah, 100%. Like, And she, yeah, if you look at the text of the movie, she's perfectly confident. She's doing well at her job. And she's telling her brother and Will Smith to just step back and let her do her job. And they are physically incapable, apparently, and don't do that. And it is absolutely their direct actions that cause every single thing to go wrong for her. But you wouldn't remember that because she's absolutely framed the way that Michaela is in the Transformers series is it's always like there's a scene where she's putting on a wire. So, of course, the shot is only her breasts. There is a yeah, very long gr- gratuitous shot of her sticking the wire in <laughs> wherever it's supposed to go. But that framing issue isn't only a matter of the sexualization of the Gabrielle Union character, but also with some of the weird um I don't want to jump into the deep end and just say colorist, but the, some of the some of the weird framing between Will Smith and Martin Lawrence in this movie, because Will Smith and it has a, a ton to do with one, the fact that Bad Boys is, was a part of the one two punch that made Will Smith a movie star. The original one. Uh, he is the badass hero of the Bad Boys franchise. However, there is a concentrated effort to frame Will Smith as just the end-all, be-all, most badass person ever. Even mm-hmm. though the, the text of the movie itself, the actual narrative, is ostensibly about 
why his tactics and his methods aren't the best, though it never resolves that. No, not at all. Um, But on the flip side of that, Martin Lawrence spends a lot of this movie sort of flinching at gunshots in a way that Will Smith really never has to. Uh, he gets shot in the ass in the beginning of the movie, which not only leads to a bunch of gay panic jokes, <laughs> but also uh, leads to him being impotent. Because that, yeah, they're, sure. <laughs> it, for, at least for for a majority of the film's runtime. And uh, it, it, it's, I, I just find that dichotomy really, really interesting. Yeah, and it's absolutely intentional. And this movie really frames masculinity in a very, very specific way. And on all kinds of different fronts, like from the way that Martin Lawrence is less willing to be hyper-violent in the way that he actually takes his mental health seriously, the fact Mm -hmm. that he has a family, um... All of these different things are framed as being, are associated with being less masculine and buffoonish Mm -hmm. by not only the text of the movie, but also, like you said, the way that they framed it, the way that they had him play the character. Um, Yeah, it's it's incredibly problematic. Like, the way that this film views masculinity and the value of violence is absolutely disturbing i think a lot of that could a lot of those movies issues can be solved uh uh, not solved but summed up by two particular scenes one is this shootout at this haitian drug front that's like a bong store or something like that and to the very next scene, this sort of discovery mission that happens at an electronics store. So in the first one, <laughs> a lot of that stuff that you're talking about, uh, the difference in uh, the sort of heroic framing of the Will Smith character and all of his violent tendencies, all of his uh, sort of selfish tendencies, and the buffoonish framing of the Martin Lawrence character who is the only one who's worried about doing actual police work Uh Uh, and the one who uh, wants to talk and stuff like that. One, there's this really weird part where, well, actually, before we get to that, they're going in to interrogate a informant of Will Smith's and... Uh, the informant doesn't want to give them any more information. And there is a very sort of long and played for laughs scene of obvious police brutality. Yeah, they the premise is like Will Smith turns to Martin Lawrence um, and says, oh, we've been practicing this this dance routine and Martin Lawrence takes a baseball bat and he's like dancing with it. And then he starts just smashing all of the things in this guy's shop. And then Will Smith joins in and he's like dancing with a baseball bat and also smashing stuff (laughs) and making it very clear that this man they are interrogating is the next thing they're going to be smashing. And it's very much played for laughs. Like they're doing these dance routines with the baseball bats, but then like you step back from that and it's like, no, these two police officers 
have just walked into the business of someone that they want to give them information on some incredibly dangerous people that we've already seen involved in a shootout. And they mm. are destroying his entire shop and threatening him with baseball bats. Mm-hmm. And the context of police brutality against people of color and immigrant communities, like, I know this was made in 2002, but in today, especially, like, the way that ICE behaves with those kinds of communities and the way Mm. that police behave generally it was not funny like that that joke did not land with me (laughs) well and also because the movie very obviously thinks it absolves itself of a lot of that context by nature of having the police officers be black which it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. But um, also it ends in a shootout that literally ends with every single person in that building except for the two leads and one other person dead. It's incredibly disturbing. It's and extremely graphic. Yes. Uh, I had forgotten how how bloody this movie was. And I haven't seen the original Bad Boys in quite some time, but I don't remember it being this bloody either. And uh, just to the point of like people sort of getting shot in the eye. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it was just, I was like, oh, sh-. there were there were a lot of uh, audible, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, when we were watching it, we were just like, Ugh. I was covering my face with my arm, just like, oh my god, like, and there's something about Martin Lawrence in that scene specifically, like most of the shootout is over, mm-hmm. uh, or the shootout pretty much is over, and there's just that one man left in this room that's just uh, completely destroyed, filled with bullet holes, and and Martin Lawrence in that scene specifically, the way he's almost manic in his reaction yeah the way he like sort of almost not almost he is very clearly suffering from ptsd yes and (laughs) and the movie is playing one playing it for laughs and two just will not address it ever again (laughs) yeah and props to martin lawrence because i feel like his acting in that scene was I don't know if it was intentional or not. And um, I give Michael Bay absolutely zero credit for um, because he never takes advantage of it again. But just the way that he portrays that manic energy that he has in that scene as he is losing it because of the things that they're doing and the things that they've just done to all these people and him saying like this is the only person left. Like what are we going to do? Are we going to shoot him? Are we going to get any information from him? It was one of the two really disturbing scenes to me uh in the film we'll talk about the other one later because it comes much later in the film but that scene like that it just really encapsulated all of the horrific acts of police brutality that make up um like every single action scene in this entire movie it was really disturbing the second scene that i was talking about is the scene in the electronics store where they in in that shootout they find a video camera that has evidence on it that they need so they go to this store and they hook the video camera up to the sort of monitor to see what's on it and it starts playing a sex tape also played for laughs and like by that point i'm so exhausted that i'm like it's not the worst thing i've seen played for laughs in this obviously Mm -hmm. the sex tape itself is literally like i don't even know if you can see the man in it obviously it's a man and a woman because 
Michael Bay and it's the woman and it's like, you know, tits first in the frame. And I was like, yeah, of course they're playing this for laughs. And, and I don't want to linger too much on it because I don't want to want to make it seem like that's the most egregious part it's of the scene. Because the, eg- <laughs> the most egregious part of the scene is that they take their camera into this room and it's recording and they start having this uh, weird pronouny conversation about basically Martin Lawrence's general arc from the beginning of, of the movie up until now. The dialogue of which frames everything in a way that makes it sound like they are in a gay relationship together, which is then groaned at and screamed at in disgust by the people in the film because that's how you're supposed to respond to it. My ass still hurts. From what you did to it the other night, Oh, my Lord. That is when, because I was, what, 10, 11, 12 when I saw this movie. That's, uh, uh, that was one of the main reasons, like, that I I never watched this movie again. <laughs> like, that's the only scene that I vividly remember from it. And it ends with everybody hearing them have this conversation. There's an old lady who has taken two children by the ear and rushed them out, but not before uh, saying, y'all, and I quote, y'all motherfuckers need Jesus. In front of my babies, you got porn on homo shows up in here. What kind of freak ass store is this? Mm. And you two motherfuckers need Jesus. Cover your ears, baby. End quote. Oh, oh, yep. <sighs> this movie is so much. Uh, it's so <laughs> much. That was the only scene. Like once it started, I was like, oh, I, I've heard about this scene. Other than that, I came into this movie pretty much blind. That's the only mm-hmm. scene that once it started, I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard about this because it's such like, oh, it's it's such like textbook awful of like mm-hmm. this is because uh, you're it's i mean you you said it like it's oh isn't is it the concept of gay sex just the both most hilarious and also disgusting thing you've ever imagined like that's yeah. what this movie is framing as disgusting as opposed to all of the rest of it which is absolute horrible shit uh, again, and we're going to harp on about framing because that a lot of this movie uh, and and what's odd about it and wrong about it is in the framing. Yeah. But um, it, yeah, it's interesting the way that they frame that stuff versus the way that they frame all of the to do with corpses in this movie. Oh my God. So many things with corpses. So, yeah, okay. So, in addition to bodyguards being chopped up, I believe a man who is hanging on to a van is crushed by a parking lot pillar. Oh, yeah. uh, In a very, very graphic way. Um, My God, I'd forgotten about that. That's how bad all I'd forgotten about that. And so much carnage, like so much unseen carnage that just goes unaddressed. There is a, a huge highway action scene towards the beginning of the movie that it were it, which is when they find out that the Gabrielle Union character is not a desk jockey but an overcunder uh, an overcunder a undercover <laughs> it's so late i've had so much food 
an undercover agent for the DEA uh, and gets into a massive firefight in the middle of what is supposed to be a routine drop that Will Smith and Martin Lawrence interrupt because they're the worst TM. Yes. And in that scene, dozens and dozens of cars are exploded, flipped off the bridge, all this stuff. And all of this sort of bloodless carnage, a a massively like bloodless action sequence in comparison to the rest of the film. Right. This scene follows the Fast and the Furious logic that everybody who is an action hero can automatically drive like they're a professional trained race car driver, which I was willing to accept given the logic of the rest of the movie. But all of that stuff happens. And basically the only sort of lip service given to the idea that it might have caused some sort of loss of life is the captain saying thank god no officers died yeah asterisk officers who gives a fuck about the dozens of civilians who are definitely 100 percent dead that's fine oh my gosh it's it, let's let's talk a little bit about the the action and the carnage um be uh, a, a little bit more just because we were about to get into it with the corpses There's this entire subplot. Yeah, it kind of is a subplot because the actual climax of the movie never really takes it into consideration. It's just this really ghoulish side story (laughs) where the main bad guy is transporting this money and this ecstasy in and out of the U.S. in hollowed out cadavers. Yep. You heard that right, folks. Which is another, another, you know, uh, fucking artillery shell in the tone of this movie. But Will Smith, who does a bunch of crazy, reckless shit, but then always has a reason for it. Uh, they're chasing after this truck that has these cadavers in it. And in another car chase sequence in which the back of the truck opens up and the dead bodies start flying out of the back of the truck. Oh, and they just... And subsequently being ran over by cars. They just get run over. One of them lands on the windshield of will smith's car and he's just like "Ooh, get Mm -hmm. it off that's gross or that's nasty or whatever oh one of their heads flies clean off oh my god yeah it does they run over it and the head just fucking flies off i'm surprised you didn't get a charlie horse the like the way that your body was like twisting and turning so like what was that because i don't i honestly all i remember i'm sure that my jaw was just on the ground because i was so viscerally repulsed yeah, there's a lot of a lot of twisting, uh, a lot of twisting and turning, oh. uh, you you and a lot of covering of your face. But you got all the parts you were supposed to see. Oh yeah, I'm. I got it. I got enough. <laughs> I got enough. That was so oh, viscerally disturbing. I think it was. <laughs> I think it was worse because a lot of weird shit happens with corpses in this movie, and mm-hmm. the flying out of the back of the transport van. For some reason, I think Michael Bay is sort of daring you to stop watching the movie at that point. Honestly. It feels like a game of chicken, almost. Because what other reason is there for it other than what's the most appalling imagery I can force upon people? 
Because there's no real, there's no narrative point to the van of mm-hmm. flying corpses. Like, yeah. they already know that he's transporting drugs in corpses. Like, so they, that like, it doesn't further the plot literally at all. It's just here. You want to see some really, really awful shit? And everybody said, no, not really. And Michael Boy's, okay, here you go. Here's a van of flying corpses. <laughs> well, I, I mean, and then it, it, it sort of triples down on it just because they end up in the morgue, breaking into the morgue to check out the corpses. And it's a scene that is uh, a little all over the place, Uh, just a sort of microcosm of the tonal whiplash that this movie has. There's a lot of a big-loved Will Smith just shoving his arm into dead bodies and pulling out organs and eventually cash and uh, and drugs. And then there is the opposite part of that, which is Martin Lawrence, who does not have the stomach for shoving his hand uh, elbow deep into corpses. Uh, he uncover at, at one point he ever uncovers one corpse, uh, which is a lady uh, who has very, very large and pronounced breasts, which the camera ogles she, very closely a for corpse. a very long time. It's a corpse. And then later other characters come in like they, you hear someone's coming down the hallway. They're like, oh, hide, hide. So, of course, um, Will Smith dashes into, like, a closet or something. And Martin mm-hmm. Lawrence decides he's just going to jump on the table with this with woman. the naked lady corpse. And covers himself up with a blanket. And they come in and they're like, get the bimbo. They literally yeah. only refer to a dead woman as the bimbo and that's all she is referred to as in the entire scene like just to add another layer of appalling disrespect for women you're gonna only refer to an actual dead human body as a bimbo while you linger the camera over her dead tits (laughs) I, I wish we didn't have the naming convention that we already do. <laughs> It'd be just the episode would just be called Bad Boys 2 colon lingering the camera over her dead tits. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's a lot of uh, back and forth. They spend a lot of time, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, on the radar of the bad guy who thinks by nature of them being black people that they are gangbangers. They refer to them is, as gangbangers for the entire fucking movie. Every time which it, the villains which refer to them. I don't know if I've ever heard the term gangbangers so many times in one sitting. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, eventually they find out that they're cops and that they're working with Sid, who has worked her way up, who is who has been competent enough at her job to work her way up to being in charge of the bad guy's finances. <laughs> yeah, she, li- she would have had that entire criminal organization in federal prison brought down an entire what is apparently a very powerful drug syndicate across multiple countries would have brought them all down without having to blow up a single building but they find out that the two of them are not gangbangers but cops and they just automatically assume that she is working with them and 
Yeah, I'm not sure how that line got drawn. Yeah, but but yeah, then she gets held at gunpoint and kidnapped and taken to Cuba. So then we, and they get a ransom call at the police station. Then we get into probably the most banal and annoying shift in tone and tenor that I've seen in a movie in a very long time. It was so stark. Yeah, it it, it just became this sort of heavy-duty military operation. Uh, we go um, at least 15 minutes without any attempt at a joke uh, because they have decided to perform this uh, extrajudicial paramilitary raid on Cuba to find Martin Lawrence's sister. That has been very clearly endorsed by both the Miami Police Department and the Coast Guard mm-hmm. and also the FBI. Or no, 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 not the FBI, the DEA, because some DEA guys were like, yeah, we're in, sure. <laughs> and I really, really wish that she could have saved herself in some way just because they spend the entire the martin lawrence character and to a certain extent the will smith character who she's also fucking apparently because of yeah sure yeah which is just supposed to be an because they needed even more conflict and besides the you know always being in danger and so on and so forth so um it's yeah they spend the entire movie infantilizing her and ruining her job and then she just has to be rescued she gets gabrielle union is so fucked over in this movie she does not deserve the, the things that were done like they give her they give her a couple of small things like they have her grab one of will smith's guns out of his belt and do some of her own shooting um mm-hmm. she is the one that um breaks the standoff on the minefield at gitmo which we're gonna talk about gitmo here in a sec uh, but mm-hmm. she is the one that um, tosses the gun onto one of the mines in the minefields, which breaks the standoff and allows them to finish murdering their way through this Cuban crime syndicate. So they give her like yeah. a couple of little things, which almost, I don't know, it almost makes it worse because it's like you see that they could have let her be competent. They could have let her have yeah, her she's own arc. Incredibly capable person. But they're not going to let us see it aside from these tiny little nuggets. Yeah, it's really odd. But they get to. Well, there's nothing very special about the finale besides the fact that it is just tacked on to another finale. Yeah. But um, there's nothing really special about it aside from the fact that, unlike the Transformers movies, where things explode and then the most you see is someone with like a cut on their lip and some smudge on their face. A lot of people just get like really, really exploded in this. They do. Like you see the main Johnny Tapia, I think is his name, the villain. Mm-hmm. You see him get shot straight through the forehead. Um, And he falls backwards and the top half of his body just blows to pieces. Yeah. And then you see them make a big deal about them getting his elderly mother and his tiny, tiny daughter to safety. But then you you don't actually see them get to safety or or you, you see them 
get sort of counted by the people who were also on this mission with them. But then the entire building explodes and there's no resolution to whether they made it out alive. You have no idea if these um, unaffiliated American citizens didn't just go to Cuba and murder Didn't just get, a shit yeah. ton of people, including an old woman and a little girl. It's just, it's just like, we've secured the elderly lady and the little girl. Now let's bury them under this villa in Cuba. Oh my God. <laughs> with, with mountains and mountains of C4. It's, re- it's really odd. And then... The political um, implications! Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I know it's really silly because this is Michael Bay, but the political implications of an extrajudicial paramilitary force just murdering their way through a Cuban town and then driving to Gitmo and screaming to everybody how American they are. Driving to Gitmo in a Hummer, in a bright yellow Hummer, uh, going through a shantytown. Murdering God knows how many more people. Because we saw people running through that shantytown. There were people yeah. in those buildings that definitely yeah, got yeah, run yeah. over. It's <laughs> but they get to Gitmo and uh, the people start firing at them on the Gitmo side. And there's a there's a shootout. It, it involves landmines. People get blown up by the landmines. The bad guy gets shot in the face. Like, a lot of these people who die, they get, like, horror movie deaths. Like, their faces get turned into, like, pizza. It's insane. It's, and that was the culmination of Martin Lawrence's character arc, too. Which, if we just want to add more disturbing shit onto this fucking dumpster fire. I guess that was supposed to be physical manifestation of the fact that he didn't have erectile dysfunction anymore. Yeah. With because okay. it's just okay, so we're inherent. We are we are literally and visually associating manhood and male sexuality with deadly violence. Cool. Mm-hmm. That need more of that. Yep. And um, also that the goal you should have when you are averse to using excessive and lethal force is that you should get over that. You need to be (laughs) able to shoot people in the face. And that's the character arc that he has because at the beginning you like, it's, it's like a bit like the earlier in the movie, Will Smith is like when they're talking about how he accidentally grazed him in the ass when he was shooting one of those clan members because my God, there were clan members. So they're like having this conversation where Will Smith is like, I saved your life. I shot a guy in the face and yeah, I grazed your ass while I did it, but I saved you. Like, wouldn't you do the same for me? And he's like, I'd shoot him in the leg, which yes, shoot to stop, not shoot to kill. And that's like portrayed as a bad thing. And then it culminates in at the end scene, the roles are. He has no choice but to shoot to kill. It's like, yeah, yeah. like they reverse the roles and they're like, look, look at this culmination of the character arc. At the beginning, Will Smith did this for him. Martin Lawrence didn't think he could do that. But now look here at the end, he can. And like the image of police, a policeman who wasn't willing to use lethal force saying at the end of the movie his character arc being now i will use the lethal force is just mm-hmm. mind boggling yeah and then and then the after getting uh, his face turned into a fucking calzone he uh he falls backwards onto a landmine and the entire top half of his body explodes and then will smith and gabrielle union make out in the movie so <laughs> yes 
So there is one scene that we um, skipped over that I think we should talk about. It's another scene that you, it's another one of the only scenes that you told me that you remembered. And that is when Martin Lawrence and Will Smith are at his house and Martin Lawrence's daughter is getting ready to go oh, on a date. Yeah. And um, Fuck. she's getting ready to go on a date with this boy named Reggie. Um, so the, Reggie comes to the house and um, both Martin Lawrence's wife and daughter say to him, you being a cop can make people uncomfortable. Do not scare this boy that is coming over here. So what does he proceed to do? He proceeds to be as exactly as threatening as his daughter asked him not to be and as horrible. And Mm so this child, because he's a child, comes to the door Mm -hmm. He introduces himself. His name is Reggie. He looks very sweet. (laughs) He's tall, but his face and demeanor are very clearly... Like, you can tell he's nervous. He does not Mm -hmm. have a threatening expression. He doesn't look belligerent. He is just looking nervous, like he's about to pick up a girl he likes to take her to the movies. And Martin Lawrence asks him super belligerently, super threateningly how old he is. And he says he's 15. So like Mm -hmm. a child, (laughs) he is a child. Mm -hmm. He may be taller than Martin Lawrence, but he is a 15 year old child. We're literally all taller than Martin Lawrence. It doesn't matter. Not me, but I'm a hobbit. It's fine. (laughs) So um, then Will Smith comes to the door Uh, And he's acting like he is, he's saying, that's my niece you're going to take out. And he starts being really threatening. He starts telling him he's just got out of prison. And Mm -hmm. um, he's he's acting very belligerently, uh, drinking from a drinking straight from a bottle mm -hmm. of liquor at the door in front of the child. And then he pulls out his police issued handgun. And starts (laughs) waving it around and waving it in the face of this terrified child. I was shocked. Like I was shocked by a lot of things that I saw in this movie, but the image of a policeman waving his weapon in the face of a terrified 15 year old boy was horrifying to me. I was horrified and it's played for laughs it's supposed to be really funny Mm -hmm. and like i um grew up like i am a woman and i my only other sibling is a sister and we have lots of like big family lots of large male cousins and mm-hmm. um, uncles and a father who we grew up in the Midwest. There's a lot of that like patriarchal um, mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to be waiting on the porch with my shotgun for your prom date type of jokes that are made. So mm-hmm. this is not a genre of humor that I'm unfamiliar with and have not experienced firsthand. That said, this was so just like it just took it to another level. <laughs> Let me take on Megan. How old are you? I'm 15, Mr. Manhattan. Motherfucker, you look 30. Show me some ID. I don't have none on me. You don't have no idea. Get your ass up against that wall. What the fuck is your problem? You think you know it all. You were screaming at the TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was. <laughs> Not happy. Oh, oh, man. Yeah. I've seen that movie plenty of many a time. 
uh, or seen that scene. That scene shows up in a lot of Facebook memes where it's just like, uh, when my daughter goes to prom, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> bad boys too. <laughs> <laughs> and when we're back, freezies. If we can muster them. If we can muster the. And you two motherfuckers need Jesus. All right, Micah, it's just me and you. Let's, uh, let's, let's, what are your freezies? You said you had three of them, which is surprising because I did not think you would. Well, I mean, they're not happy freezies. Okay. There are no hunches (laughs) to be had in this film. Mm -hmm. Uh, so my first freezy for my least favorite recurring bit in a movie ever goes to Woosaw because if there's one thing oh, man. I love after this movie came out, dude, my entire school was saying Woosaw. Oh Jesus Christ. For like dude, you 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 can't even imagine. Everybody in my family every there's just Woosaw, Woosaw. To the point that people still say it like when somebody wants you to calm down, they'll go Woosaw. Like it had an impact. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> it's not as um belligerently harmful as a lot of the other things in this movie but it is still like oh do you know what's really funny getting help for your mental illness hysterical (laughs) okay so that's my first freezy uh, my second freezy is an achievement award in most offensive boxes ticked um (laughs) Because, like, I came into this movie prepared, I thought. Like, I had been braced as much as I could be. I had been warned. I felt like I warned you pretty well. You did. You absolutely did. What I was most surprised by was just the sheer, like, broadness of how they managed to tick so many boxes. All of the boxes. You've You've got some... Some casual misogyny. You've got a shit ton of casual racism. Um, down to Micah is an acutely aware person. Oh, it was so. And 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 if Micah was an elevator, Bad Boys Two just ran its hand out all of the buttons. <laughs> it did. Y'all know that scene in Elf where he just like, just if we're gonna make a meme of this. I am the elevator. Bad Boys 2 is Buddy the Elf. And boxes of offensiveness are the uh, floor buttons. <laughs> I was I just wasn't prepared for it to hit like every single genre of awful. So that's my second freezy is the achievement award to most offensive boxes ticked. And my final and only like conceivably positive freezy goes to the only reasonable person and also only woman with more than two lines who took a good half hour to show up so that a woman could speak goes to our girl Gabrielle Union. Uh, You gave it your all and she was the only reasonable person in this film. Yeah. If you just, if you just take Martin Lawrence and Will Smith out of the plot You've got a great film about like a capable DEA undercover agent who mm-hmm. capably runs a sting and brings down a, a drug syndicate fairly efficiently and without excessive violence. But that's not the movie we got. She's getting her own TV show. Well, not her own TV show. She's being partnered with Jessica Alba. 
Right, because it truly is 2006 again. Yep. Uh, So, (laughs) that's funny. I have uh, a few freezies. My first freezy goes not to best cinematography, but most cinematography. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much of it. (laughs) So much. Uh, to the point where it's just it, it becomes vis- it becomes like visually exhausting to actually look at the movie um I think that um my second freezy goes to production design I actually like again the actual sort of uh color grading on this movie is uh really off-putting but i think that that's supposed to be intentional and uh i don't think i've seen a michael bay movie where the production design in it was not impressive in some way i think that's that's something that he's very good at how the actual film turns out after editing and all that stuff up in the air <laughs> but uh but very much so the production design in this movie is pretty good uh if i was to give it to anything i'd give it to him and then i will echo your sentiments for my last freezy for uh the for sydney the Gra- gabrielle union character who very much this movie in a different world where um 2003 american audiences were ready for a movie that was just about Gabrielle Union taking down a Cuban drug lord. Yeah, all day. I'd I'd go see that movie in a heartbeat, especially given how young Gabrielle Union was at the time. That just sounds like a very interesting movie. Uh, And she's great. She's always great. I love Gabrielle Union. I think she's uh, a super charismatic screen presence. And she's also very funny. Oh, yeah. She's absolutely fantastic. So shout out to Gabrielle Union. The reason to watch Bad Boys too, <laughs> um, if you must. If you, if you must. <laughs> so um, we've reached the end segment of our show, where we decide whether or not the film that we watched this week is freezer burnt or still fresh. Micah, why don't you go first? Because I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Uh, this motherfucker is so freezer burnt as to be unrecognizable. Um, I you got mold on it's, it. Yeah, how do you get mold in a freezer? You just you have to be this level of awful. Um, I despise Michael Bay as a filmmaker. I <laughs> do not particularly wooed by extraneous explosions. Uh, and that's the only positive thing I could say as his style as an auteur is, well, there's plenty of fireballs. Um, I think his views on women and people of color and um, the LGBTQ community, all of it is very clear, not just from this film, but most, if not all of his filmography. And um, I don't care where you donate your money or who you donate your money to in political campaigns. If this is the kind of art that you're making, I want no part of any of your political beliefs because um, if this is your body of work and this is what you think is funny, Um, or if this is what you think will make money or whatever, like, I don't care. Fuck you. So, uh, fuck Michael Bay. (laughs) And, um, this movie is so fucking freezer burnt. I hated it so much. 
so much. <laughs> so now it is your turn. How about you? Is this still fresh or freezer burnt? Um, I would like to give all of the caveats that I, I put forth at the beginning of the episode. I believe that Michael Bay is an auteur. He is an auteur of films that I do not enjoy, but he does have a very distinct style that is all him. You know when you're watching a Michael Bay thing or even when you're watching a ripoff of a Michael Bay thing. Bad Boys 2 is Freezer Burnt. And I knew it was going to be Freezer Burnt, even though I hadn't seen it in a while. And as I was watching it, but I will say that watching Bad Boys 2 with Micah (laughs) was one of the most entertaining movie watching experiences that I've ever had. (laughs) So if you must watch Bad Boys 2 again, please find your most fiercely feminist friend (laughs) and sit them down to watch it. Uh, because guaranteed good time. Watch them turn into a steaming rage pretzel on your sofa. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's what I was. Literally, uh, I was like, the credits were rolling. (laughs) And she goes, that was like the worst thing I've ever seen. (laughs) And I was like, so this means that you're not coming to see Bad Boys for Life next January with me? Not if you fucking paid me. (laughs) (laughs) I have lines. And they've been drawn. The thing is, I'm going to go see it because I'm so interested in seeing what place this franchise has in our current political climate. Yeah. Um, short answer, it doesn't have one. Um, <laughs> Michael Bay is going to fucking grenade himself one. Uh, or it's going to be unrecognizable as a part of the franchise. I mean, presumably. I haven't seen the first. I will never see the first. The first one is a lot less sort of grisly than this one. It does have a ton of cursing. It is pretty violent, just not this violent. And it is a more pleasant movie just to look at. Uh-huh. Presumably doesn't start uh, off with a burning cross and a bunch of guys in clan robes. It does not. It does start start off with a uh, a really nice shot of uh, an airplane, airport, and a, and a car. I'll show you the shot. It's nice. <laughs> I uh, Michael Michael Bay has an eye for striking imagery. He really, really does. Uh, I just wish that he were using those powers for good more (laughs) yeah because he's not (laughs) well that's it for this week's episode of below freezing you can follow the show at below 32 pod on facebook and twitter you can also follow me at cj period that's c-e-e-j-a-y and the word period i'm assuming you know how to spell it on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me on the internet on Twitter at Micah Renee B and on Instagram at Loki Stroke the Lemur. And you can download the podcast wherever you download your podcasts. Um, give us a rate, give us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if you're on iTunes and you want to throw a five-star review our way, that helps more people see the show, which would be rad. Peace, peace, peace. Next week, Uh, My good buddy Devon Taylor is coming on and we are going to be watching a movie that I had completely forgot even happened uh, before he suggested it. But it does have a weirdly stacked 
uh, cast. It is a three-hander with Zac Efron, Michael B. Jordan, and Miles Teller. And if there were any two actors who could offset the fact of Michael Teller being there, or Miles Teller being there, it is Michael B. Jordan and Zac Efron, so that's fun. Yeah. But the movie's called That Awkward Moment. It is uh, a romantic comedy uh, in the vein of other romantic comedies that happen every decade or so when some studio executive goes, but what if we had a romantic comedy with dudes? Um, <laughs> so we'll we'll see how that works out. But until then, we'll see you next week. Stay frosty. Stay frosty.